get up, get, get up, get up. What is up, Mets fans? Welcome back to another episode of the Mets Up Podcast, the official podcast of the New York Mets, our first remote podcast. This is the first one since joining the Mets that me and James have not been together. We are in different spaces. I'm still out in Queens. James is back home with the family, but we're still going to talk to you about everything Mets that has gone on since the last episode. We got the four-game series against the Chicago Cubs. We have some all-star game updates. We have the MLB draft as well. We've got a couple picks to talk to you guys about, so make sure you stick around so you can hear all about the future Mets as well as the current. So if you're not yet following us on all our social media, make sure you are at MetsUp. The boys just dropped a banger TikTok. We had a Brett Beatty TikTok. It's doing 300,000 views, which is by far the most that we have done on our TikTok. Make sure you're following us over there. We got a lot more stuff coming at you, as well as our other social media. And if you want to watch the video version of this episode, check us out on YouTube on the New York Mets YouTube channel. If you're listening to us, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcast, you'll be able to listen to us. Drop us a rating, drop us a review, subscribe to the feed so you don't miss out. And without further ado, Let's bring in James all the way from New Jersey. How you feeling? All the way from New Jersey. Heavy New Jersey weekend over here. It's been active New Jersey weekend. Also, you talked about potential future Mets in the outline. You didn't talk about the biggest potential future Met that was Who's in that? that came out this weekend. Juan Soto. Oh, yeah. How could I forget that Juan Soto? The biggest future Met of them all. Yeah, Juan Soto, the headline of him being on the trade market, being available, and even this guy whose name I don't particularly care to mention, but Andy Martino dropped an article saying that the Nationals – think the Mets are a really good fit for Juan Soto, which I don't know I how you get that information, but I'm. this is one of the few times I'll allow him to spew his nonsense because I agree with it, and it does benefit the Mets. Absolutely. I don't even... We can't, like, lead talking about Juan Soto. We're not that... We're, everyone knows we're not that clickbaity of a podcast. I just wanted to say it to make sure everyone knew that it would be spoken about at some point. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about it later. We'll talk about it later. Let's talk about this Cubs series because it was a good one. The Mets obviously won it three games uh, out of the four, would have loved to sweep, a little bit bittersweet there at the end, but Definitely. the Mets kind of grinded their way through this series, it feels like. A little a little grimy one. In a good and a bad way. Like, the grinding yeah. is good, like winning these grinded out games is good, but I also would have preferred to have at least one other game that was like Thursday where you just beat the Cubs. Yeah, would have loved for a couple 10-1, 10-2 games where it's like, oh, I can, I can honestly stop watching this game. It's over. They're in the driver's seat and they're going to be fine. Yeah, by the end of this, you've been beating the Cubs 8-0 on Thursday in a very good, easy, clean. One of those games you could turn off in the 7th, besides for the great S&Y screen caps we'll talk about in a second. But you score 8 runs in that game. You only score 6 the rest of the weekend. And you still are left feeling with that kind of exact same feeling you felt for the last six or seven series the Mets have played where it's like, I really wish someone would get a hit right now. Well, it felt like the Marlins won all over again, where it was like we got all our runs out in the first game, and then we were just kind of halted a little bit. But also, it was weird, too, because of the rain and the wind in Chicago. It was very windy, and it was almost impossible to hit a home run after the first day. Which is kind of funny, because I kind of talked about being nervous about the opposite thing happening, where it's like, oh, I know that, like, Balls in the air a lot for Scherzer in Taiwan. I really hope the air is not blowing out. The air was blowing in, and those guys were like exclusively fly ball pit. Not not Walker, but Scherzer, I believe, got zero ground balls on Saturday night, or maybe really? one. I'm pretty sure about that. Yeah, there were two balls that had exit launch angles under 10 degrees, but they were both ruled line drives. Looking back at them, they were both kind of those in between liner grounders, and both actually turned out to be singles, which is kind of ironic, but really weird. Like the bets seemingly, or Scherzer, I guess, especially playing playing Wrigley the way in a way that was advantageous to him. Especially for this series with the wind blowing in like that. There was a couple balls that we'll get to at some point where you're like, I thought that was a guaranteed home run and it was 35 feet short of the wall. Absolutely. But let's quickly run through these games. It's going to be a very active episode to talk about otherwise. Thursday, 
just we said multiple times, crush the Cubs, 8 nothing. Kind of exact easy win you want to get against a team you're clearly better than. Brandon Nimmo was the star with a home run, a double, and a single. Four hard-hit balls in this one. We all love over, that. We love that. All over the field. And that home run was his fourth of July. And he had five the entire year, April, May, and June. Which is really cool because that's something that I think if you wanted to talk about maybe something that was missing in Brandon Nimmo's game. It had been the power because having met the guy, having shook his hand, he's incredibly big and incredibly strong. The dude is like a linebacker. So you've always been wondering like where is the power going to come? And maybe now as Brandon Nimmo has started to hit the ball a little bit harder on a consistent basis, we'll start to see those power numbers you know, climb up. Absolutely. You'd like to see that. Also from this game, Escobar and Marte each had three hard hit balls. Escobar a little foreshadowing for the big weekend he would have. Pete Alonzo, we know, also hit the big home run. And Carlos Carrasco pitched just really smooth against a bad lineup. Six innings, six strikeouts, basically no stress the whole time. 44% whiffs on his slider. But something that was kind of interesting is that his velocity dipped a little bit across the board. He was down a tick on basically every single pitch and got no whiffs on his four-seam fastball. But I then I looked at all the velocities from this whole weekend, and everyone's velocity was down. So maybe slow that clock. Was, Sl- yeah, slow gun. Either slow gun or just... Maybe just team fatigue heading into the all-star break, or it was just get crazy conditions in Chicago. Even the Thursday wasn't really that crazy. It's just, you know. Or even it could just be like, eh, it's the Cubs. I don't need to be, you know, <laughs> relaxed. I don't need to be pumping. I can take this one a little bit easy, work on some stuff. I don't know. That's a little disrespectful that, to the Cubs. That's not true. Still a major that's league lineup here. Top of the order is good, at least top five. It's tolerable. Major league players. Relatively. I mean, like you said, this game was pretty straightforward. It was pretty smooth. It was nice to see Starling Marte, like you mentioned earlier, back in the lineup and hitting yeah. the ball hard again because Man, when he's in the lineup, this team really does move differently. Absolutely. And just you can see how much longer the lineup is with everyone is back in it together. But the highlight from this game, as the game got boring itself, and as we Mets fans can rely on with SNY over the years, when a game is boring, you know the booth will not be. Because Steve Gelbs went into the Cubs bleachers for what seemed like the first time I think I've ever seen Gelbsy do that. Kind of the, go, into rem- the, go into the pit. To be fair, I don't remember. Honestly, yeah. like Chicago, it's it's always a little bit of a blur sometimes. <laughs> Definitely. And the Cubs are famous for their patented uh, outfield bleacher cup snakes where everyone takes their beer cups and they try to stack them from the, the rail, the first row, all the way to the back. And always you see the videos together going around Twitter of the guys not getting them because the security comes and steals the snake. But this snake got so big that I think security ended up being powerless to it. And when the snake is more powerful in security, the snake can now becomes infinitely powerful. And they got that snake going the entire way from the rail up. And Gelbsy was holding a part of it, kind of complaining about how heavy it was, which is kind of funny. <laughs> These are plastic cups. And he interviewed some dude. I'm just going to call him a dude because that guy wasn't It a dude. was hilarious. Such a dude. Yeah, right? Tell, tell the people what happened. I've been talking for well, a Well, yeah, they were, they were just like interviewing him. He, he was calling him Gelbsy. He was calling him Steve. It was very like, it was a very casual conversation for something that normally when you're talking to a guy on TV, like I feel like people get like, really tight, really rigid, and really like, yes, I do enjoy this. Very robotic, where this guy was loose. He, had, he definitely had a few beers. A few beverages. For sure. And he was and calling he was, them beverages, which were funny. Yes, that's also very funny, as we like to call them adult beverages on the podcast. He was just, he was directing traffic. He was telling you where the cup snake needs to go. He was telling you you need to carry your weight. And he was giving Gelbsy a little, a little bit of shit because, you know, he was kind of not doing the best job by it, per se. I mean, Hollywood Gelbs, Yankee fan, as we know. But the key, he also had just the best soundbite I've ever heard where Gelbs, he was like, yeah, we get this thing going in the fifth inning. People start throwing their cups, stacking them together. More and more beverages get drank. And then by the eighth, we'd like to get it all the way back. 
And then Gelbs was like, oh, this is the seventh inning. He's like, you know, yeah, basically the eighth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a great line. I, yeah, that was a great line. The cup, the cup Snake really was, though, the star of the show in this game. 100%. Outside of what was going on on the field, like you said, Mets had an easy lead at this point. The game was essentially over. And you mentioned, I've I've never seen a Cup Snake get this big. Because no, they, they do get stopped that was, that was, every that single the biggest time. biggest one ever. Yeah, because they get stopped. But like you said, when you got Hollywood up there, Steve Gelb, S&Y, you let the show go on. It's also Keith and... Uh... And Gary seemed to like just detest the the level of, of of drinking that was being done out there. Like they were almost like a little bit scared that this really drunk guy was on the mic, and they were like, "Oh, what's he gonna say? What's he gonna say? What's he gonna say?" And they were kind of given like the you know the the Keith and Gary just like fatherly you know derision to them. Me and my roommate, who you're familiar with, the viewers and listeners at home, Alex, my roommate, we were talking about how many cups you think were Ooh. in that cup snake. Oh and- my god. I, we have no way of knowing, and this would be this would have been a great time for a little bit of our estimates here if we had an actual answer for how many were in that cup snake, because we could get closest to it. But I mean, you gotta gotta assume that's what three, four hundred cups. I think more, because if you think about it, what's being stacked is simply just like the two millimeter rim. You know what I mean? That's true. Yeah. So it's like you have like the the cup on the bottom, which you're getting like the full eight inches of cup, and then after that, you're going millimeter by millimeter, trying to stack your way to the top. I'm assuming there's like 30 rows of seats, each row of seats being separated by two and a half feet. Cool. We're mathing this out. Let's do it. <laughs> We're looking at like, what, 1,500 cups? <laughs> That's so many. I'm, it's just too, I that think seems like too many, though. That feels like too many. Maybe we just get comfortable and we cut it in half and we say 700, 750. And we say there's 700, cups. 750 cups there. That's a lot of beer. That's like $12 a beer, and the Cubs can't afford to pay anybody. It's shocking how no, that's of course even not. possible. The poor Ricketts crying broke at the owners' meetings. Oh, God. That was that was the start of the show, though. This game was very happily boring. Yeah, happily boring. Glad for it. Nice and easy. Mets get game one. Rain on game two, so we don't get that day. And then instead, we get a doubleheader on Saturday, which was insane. Yeah, also, Friday, that rain out on Friday was a killer. I was so excited to watch a day game while just, like, chilling. And I was like, ugh. And then they I streamed done. on what? I streamed on Twitch for like the first time in like three months because I was like, man, it's like seven o'clock, yeah. and I I don't know what to do. Like it's a Friday, no one's really around because you were back home. Drew was out in Nashville. Ernie Ernie's doing his yeah, you know aristocratic things that he yeah, likes to do when we're not around. But I was like, man, I got nothing to do. Sure, I guess I'll stream and talk some baseball, talk an MLB draft, which we'll get to here in a second. But it was nice. That we did get those games, though, on Saturday, because the weather's always a little bit up in the air in Chicago. Definitely. We were just weather this whole weekend. Even the East Coast, it was just dumb humid, like, every single night. Even right now, it's humid. We got a big, big home run derby party planned for tomorrow at the Shiano Casa. A lot of people coming over, including Mark and his dad, praying that the rain holds up, because we've we've done this almost every single year for the last, like, five or six years, and we've had some, not a lot of fun doing it. But big the big story at the beginning of Saturday with two games before any of these games got kind of crazy, was the re- not the return of Marcus Stroman because we're in Chicago, but just the the resurfacing of Marcus Stroman, the Mets facing Marcus Stroman. I thought it was interesting that Gary and Keith took the time to address it more so than I really had anticipated that they would. Well, Gary, I think, put it very appropriately as to maybe why they were addressing it so much and maybe why Marcus Stroman has caught so much heat among Mets fans or just like the media in New York in general. And he was saying, you know, you either, you you can leave a couple different ways. You can leave and you can go do your own thing or you can burn bridges. And that's yeah. why you leave. He goes, Marcus Stroman did both. He left and he burned bridges. So he left New York with a really sour taste in the Mets fans and I think media's mouth, which I, 
somewhat warranted. I know he caught a lot of slack over here in New York uh, at times based on things that he was doing on or off the field, and whether that was warranted or not, I believe the guy's a nice dude really at the end of the day. But that being said, he really just did turn into kind of a diva for absolutely no reason, and he became an easy player to become an enemy of Mets fans really quickly. Yeah, and he's a guy who also just kind of pushed his way like off the team. Like he, I was vocal about wanting to extend him a contract in the both of us, just, be, yeah. Yeah, just because of the pitcher he is and what he can do. I know the results haven't been there this year, but I do think that's kind of a function of either fatigue from the last few years or dealt dealt with. An, I don't know if he dealt with injury or COVID. Why he was out for no, so long? Both, both. He had an injury yeah. and COVID. And, but his strikeout rate has also gone up, even though the results haven't been there. But it seems like he just kind of went scorched earth and killed any chance he even had. Like if you. If you're a player and you're looking to sign a contract, you want as many teams competing for your services as possible to drive your price up. And to knock one of those teams out, you just seem like you're costing yourself money. And that is something that I don't think I would ever like to do if I was in that position. One of the teams with the deepest pockets, too, who, yeah. again, could have had a spot for you 100% on this roster. Uh, it was it was bizarre. Like you said, he went scorched earth. He just he always plays with a chip on his shoulder. And for the first time in a while, it felt like that chip got a little bit too big and more became of... A little arrogance rather than a chip on a shoulder. Yeah, and I'm sure a lot of Mets fans would have loved to have, like, crushed him. Yes. Saturday, but it didn't happen because the guy is still a good pitcher. He's and also good, we're just, yeah. Yeah, we're still stuck in that offense here and there sometimes. He also had a lot of strikeouts against the Mets, which is funny. Some we were asking him to do all of last year. Well, the home plate umpire, Ramon De Jesus yeah. <laughs> really gave him every opportunity in this game. He was getting the Greg Maddox strike zone. To be fair, Taiwan did a little bit too, but we don't complain when it helps us. He, Ramon De Jesus had one of the worst umpire scorecards I've ever year. seen in my life. I'm going to go look it up real quick so I can get those exact numbers, but I, I do know. it was 76% know, or 74. No, yeah, so that was his called strike accuracy, I believe was 74%, and the average, or 76, 77, whatever it was, and the average uh, called strike percentage, I believe, is around 86 or 87%, which is just shockingly low. But Joe West said that no umpire is below 95. Well, Joe West, uh, known truther. Guy's never lied about anything in his life. No. Truthful guy. But that was it was kind of frustrating. But also, you can't, again, like you said, at least he was like consistently bad. Like on the umpire scorecard, that kind of tells you which, which team the bad calls benefited more, and it was basically a dead heat. So yeah, at least, no. like like you said, Taiwan. Taiwan also is very good at like, kind of understanding the strike zone while he pitches, and his command is usually so solid that he can f- like think, fit his game plan into what the ump is giving him. And he did that again on Saturday. Yeah, no, I mean, he ended up pitching well. Again, doing the Taiwan Walker thing, giving us exactly what we needed, especially in a doubleheader. You really like to get more than five out of your starter, and him going six for us definitely helped us through this doubleheader. Definitely, with five strikeouts, two walks, just one earned run. More split changes than fastballs in this one for Taiwan, so different from the slider we've seen from recently. Slider was third most thrown pitch, but all three of those pitches kind of grouped at the top, which is the recipe for Taiwan Walker becoming this new guy. And I was just panning through some stats today, kind of bored, just chilling, like waiting for this episode. And he basically has like the exact same stats in the first half this year as he had last year. Yeah, Taiwan's been really good. It's quietly, I feel like. Super quietly. He's, he's like really playing himself into what could be a lucrative winter, winter for him. Definitely, and he just got a. Uh, do you get Scott Boris? Is is that his new agent now? I feel like you told me that, so I don't know if I'm telling you that you're right. It's just kind of the echo chamber that you've created, but you okay. think told that me that. Okay, yeah, I then that means that I did hear that then that Scott Boris is now his agent. So that Scott Boris becomes Bye-bye. your agent. See that you means you're re- that means you're really good. That means you're a good player. That means you're going to get paid. That means that there's something there. Scott Boris doesn't represent bad players. No, <laughs> we got Boris with Nimmo too. This is going to be a fun off season trying to resign these freaking guys. Oh my god! But it's going to be a little expensive. Yeah, really expensive. Great from Taiwan. To, to, when Stroman was pitching well, and the Cubs bullpen, for some reason, holding us off the board that will. It was nice to see him keep us in this game, give us a chance to win. But the same 
annoying thing where the bottom of this lineup just wasn't really able to get that big hit. Escobar had a big game later, and he made a great play to save this game. But the six through nine hitters in this lineup had only one hard hit ball on Saturday afternoon, and that one hard hit ball was 98 miles an hour off Dom Smith's bat. Yeah, it was a bit of an abyss, I would yes. say, the six through nine uh, spots in this lineup. It was just, it was really tough to get anything going, and it just felt like, again, when we did have something going, those guys would come up and they just couldn't come through for us. And this tells all this time. We've been talking about this for weeks and weeks and weeks. Tread deadline coming up. It's going to be interesting to see what happened. But this game kind of just lulled all the way until extras where we um we got – how did we score the ghost run? No, we didn't score the 10th inning. That was it. Yeah, yeah. we did not score in 10th inning. And Adam Alvino pitched the 9th, came back out of the 10th, had a fantastic shutdown ending to give us a shot to win this game in the 11th. So impressive from Alvino to throw two innings, one of them being the 10th with the ghost runner, keeping the Cubs off the board. Just see – it's crazy to look back at this first half and, like, kind of even just be able to pinpoint the time and place where he became like the number two man in this bullpen. It's really bizarre. He's so shut down. He's so good. Like we talked about him a lot the offseason. This is someone that we both had circled of like, can we get a Montavino? Because we know on the stats on baseball reference, you see the high ERA at times in the last few years. You see some walks and you go, what's so special about him? But every time you dive deeper and deeper into Adam Montavino's numbers, you go, oh, he has like one blow up game a year. That screws his ERA. Otherwise, he's one of the hardest pitchers to hit in baseball in terms of relievers. And it's not even that. Like, I've been preaching to listeners and to you for a very long time that when you're evaluating relievers, you almost can't take any stat into consideration besides, like, strikeouts and walks, whiffs maybe, realistically. And if you looked at Adam Adovino over the years, while his ERA had climbed up, that was a lot of due to the home run ball. Just, again, like, those big innings, blow-up outings, like you said. And you look at the strikeouts, they were still there. And you look at the slider, it was still moving as much as it ever has. And you look at the fastball, still had the elite ride and velocity. So this is a guy who very clearly... If the ball just falls a different way, we'll be an elite reliever and just very happy he's doing it for us. And we also have to talk about in this 10th inning because Dom Smith exited the game because he rolled his ankle going back to second base, which I've never seen before. Hopefully Dom's okay. You know, the ankle, it's always something to keep an eye out for, especially the way he rolled. It was a pretty brutal roll, it looked like, really twisted it. J.D. Davis comes in to pinch run. This now leaves us with who's going to play first base because Pete Alonso's the DH in this game. Dom Smith's out of the game, and J.D. Davis is in for him. So you have a couple of different options, and Canna, I think, ran at one point in this game, so he couldn't even come in and play first base. The Mets, like, really kind of got handcuffed. J.D. Davis ends up going to first, and he makes, along with Eduardo Escobar, one of the plays of the year where you go team of destiny type stuff. Eduardo Escobar dives to his left, makes a great play, gets up quickly because he didn't, like, fully lay out, but somehow still did with the reach, makes a strong throw to first, but on a scoop, a short hop, to J.D. Davis, who makes a split-stretch scoop. I, I couldn't even believe it. I don't... I still, to this moment, am, like, speechless watching that play. I was screaming. I, I it, Unbelievable, J.D. Davis. Who knew he had scoops like that? I was listening to this one on the radio. I was on the beach, and Wayne was also going crazy. Wayne also, found, interestingly enough, I believe, if I remember correctly, grew up in Chicago and a Cubs fan. So yes. I feel like it's always funny when you get these announcers like back against their hometown, like listening to them like, rooting for the Mets. He's like, an unbelievable scoop by J.D. Davis. It was very, very funny. But I can't remember. Was that the 10th or 11th inning? When that, no, when that, that was the 10th. Happened? That was the 10th. No, All right, so we still had the 11th to go. Yeah, we still had the 11th to go. This saved the game because basically if that didn't happen, the game would have been over. Also, this is something I can't substantiate with stats right now, mostly because I just thought of it at this moment and I didn't do any research. And we're also missing our, our boy uh, Johnny here, Johnny Stats. Johnny Stats, yeah. The producer, having a wonderful time gallivanting in Italy, I'm sure. But Jealous. Yeah. It seems like this year the rate of scoring in these extra innings has gone down. And this might be anecdotal, but it's something I've seen in the last few weeks that it seems like these teams might be getting smarter 
defensively and pitching wise how to combat the runner on second because I feel like more and more remember that I remember that Yankee game from Friday kind of happened happened when the Yankee Reds game from this week that Nationals Braves game from last weekend to the Sunday like there's been more zeros being thrown up in these extra innings than I can recall I think like you said teams are just getting smarter I think teams now have had a year plus to work with how do you handle this extra inning and I think there's just kind of a system and like basically if a happens then b happens and I think you just kind of follow a script in a way yeah, that's kind of a good point. But it was this guy, game got tense after that. Once you get no scoring there, it got very tense. And the Mets only very were able tense. to pull up one in the 11th. But luckily, we had Edwin Diaz, who's just literally unhittable right now. He made he made the ghost runner like a complete non-issue. He's so sick. He's it's disgusting. Incredible. He's just like unhittable. And uh, I'm so happy he's on our team. Yeah, thrilling. Especially with the Josh Hader's cold streak. We can actually, as Mets fans, you can start telling everybody that you have the best closer in baseball. It's Edwin Diaz. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. That's a fact. That's a fact. Edwin Diaz, best in the game, all-star closer. We'll be at the all-star game. Can't wait to watch him lock it down for the National League on Tuesday night. Hopefully. And move on now. Talk about next game. We're dragging on about these boring games here. We got to get through. Yeah, we'll move through these now. Well, let's talk about Scherzer. That's the thing. I want to talk about Max Scherzer here. I don't know. I'm all over the place. This is one of our later podcasts recently, too. Well, it's because you had Family Party, plus I had MLB Draft, plus we're remote. It's... This one's a little bit strange, especially going into the All-Star weekend. Wonky. Like not, It's a little wonky. We don't particularly get a break as podcasters because the season doesn't really ever just take time off. But this is kind of our semi-vacation, even though the draft is unbelievable. Yeah, and we're going to do this one, and we're probably going to do another episode right before the Padres series next week. Probably something small for you guys. So we're, there really will be no break in the Messed Up Podcast context. No. But it was very nice that you got through this doubleheader, won a big game, and then you have Max Scherzer next. Like, that's kind of like if you're doing something as, like, a student or a worker. Like, I have two tasks. One is really hard. One is significantly easier. Or one is less fun and one is more fun. And you, and you do the less less one fun one first, and it's hard. You don't want to do it. It goes against every single thing that's in your brain saying, I want to have fun now as much as possible. But when you get it out of the way and then you have the beautifulness in front of you, things feel better. I was such the opposite student, as you could imagine. I really didn't like getting in front of things. I really liked waiting until the last possible minute. Like, oh, this is due at midnight? Okay, tell me at 11.30, and I'll, I'll get back to you, and I'll, I'll get it done by the time. It's not enough time. But, but, we're, but we're, we're closing in. We're getting it close. Yeah, completely different. I'm sure you were a little more studious than me in that oh, regard. I was probably a little more. I, I had my ebbs and flows with studiousness while I was in college. You know, here and there, whatever happens. But I felt like in this game, Scherzer kind of wasn't the most locked in early. He gave up four hits in the first two innings. A run came home. There was like some constant trouble, men on base. And then suddenly, top of the third, nobody out. Ian Happ steps to the plate. And there's a moment that seemingly locked Max Scherzer and changed the entire game. One of my favorite moments I've seen in the baseball field this entire season, going up against the Madison Bumgarner um, hand massage from the umpire back in <laughs> April or May, whenever that was. But... Scherzer has a nine-pitch battle with Ian Happ. 
strikes him out with a fastball right on the black. And the ball was right on the black. You can look at the pitch track, and you look you look at the box. That ball was right on the black. And Ian Happ, I think, has gotten a little bit little, little, little big for his britches now that he's an all-star for the first time. And he, he had a little bit of a thing to say with the umpire. As he was walking away, he kept muttering to himself, umpire threw him out. Exhilarating yep. moment for the umpire. Ian Happ spins around, throws a helmet, like gets his money's worth from the umpire. As this is going on, Max Scherzer looks at him as he's stalking around the mound, as he does after a strikeout, points, and says, that was an effing strike. Get off the field. Love it. So sick. I was like, who, who is this? That's incredible Dude, stuff. Literally, wow. I felt the exact same way that you just explained it. Like, I texted my dad. I'm like, he's just not really that sharp to start this game. Yeah, and then that happened, and something clicked, like you said. And from then on, he was just back to Max Scherzer, unhittable. Absolutely. Literally, after that, he gave up four hits in those first two innings, only four the rest of the game. He get eight total, but when you look at the last few, he really felt like he was cruising. Six and a third, 11 strikeout, 21 whiffs, whiff leader of the night in Major League Baseball. Just unbelievable performance from Mr. Scherzer. But no, he like was I said great. before, no ground balls. It was weird. It was like none. I, uh, yeah, now thinking back on it, I don't remember there being they, ground they, balls. They flashed, um, they flashed a... Uh, like a banner on SNY, like in the seventh inning, right before he came out. I think he gave up a ground ball single in that seventh inning before he came out, though. Hold him and relieved him. Got out of the mini jam, just man out first. But that was that was that was a cool moment. And this is also just to give you guys some insight to my night. I was down the shore this weekend. I do one, I do one night down the shore per year now. Jersey Shore James. Jersey Shore James. Well, I do twenty four hours a year at the Jersey Shore. No more, no less. Just exact exactly twenty four hours worth. And I was getting to the bar I was going to as this inning was going on. I was tracking on my phone. My friends are left. They wanted to go into like the more of the dancing part of the bar, and I was like, I'm going to watch the end of the Mets game. I'll see you guys in 45 minutes. And I sat by myself at the bar and watched this game from the seventh inning to the end with these three guys who came over who were gambling, who had bet in the Mets earlier. And we had, we had a wonderful time watching it. But I got in right at this moment when the seventh inning was going on, and I saw that no grab ball thing flash. Also, some insight from my perspective. I'm texting James throughout this entire game. Have no clue he's down the shore at a bar having some adult beverages, like we've said earlier. So I'm texting him like these in-depth texts. At one point, you're like, "Dude, I, I can't, I can't text like this right now. I have had a few drinks, and I, it's just a lot." <laughs> you were, you were, I think we were talking about what we we're going to record. They're doing something funny in this. I was just like. I was not, I wasn't I was giving low level baseball analysis back. <laughs> yeah, you were you were giving me like clearly like dude, I can't handle this right now and I was just firing back messages. There was a moment in the now we're just going to move on to extra innings. That's when this game it felt like really started and chaos ensued where Brandon Nimmo was the ghost runner and he kind of hung out on second. Waited, waited, waited. And the second the ball went across Diamond, I think a ball that Starling Marte eventually beat out, if I do remember correctly. He yes. just busted ass to third, and he made it in there. And I texted you. I was like, that's such a good baseball play. Like, I love watching it. And I, I tweeted out. <laughs> Brandon would do something impressive every single night. And I got three people asking me, like, what do you even do? I didn't even notice what happened. <laughs> I was like, all right, I got I to gotta stop. Listen, man, he's he's got that dog in him. That's going to come got up a little dog. bit later in this episode. Yeah, Nimmo's got that dog. This game, this it was chaos, extra innings. Absolute chaos. The Mets found a way to score two runs in this 10th inning without a hit. Yeah. Pete Alonzo, with the bases loaded, on a two-strike pitch, got nicked on his elbow, and he just, whoop, flipped the bat, walked to first base. He was like, that happened. Chicken wing. He's got that big elbow guard on, and he just went, oh, it's going to hit me in the elbow? Ah, ah, man. Ah, right in the elbow guard. What am I going to do? Ah, bases loaded, hit by pitch. And then after this, we I thought I was kind of disappointed because Mark Hanna very uncharacteristically swung at the first pitch, hit a dinky ground ball at the pitcher. Those are two things I feel like he never does. And I actually did check back to the stats. Cano only swings at 5.3% of first pitches. That is the bottom 15% of the league. Crazy. You know, this is funny before we go on this. Tomas Nito, over 15%, third highest rate in the league for people really? who have seen at least 100 pitches. Isn't that bizarre? 
Because he's had some good at-bats this year where I'm like, good at-bat, you worked out a walk. Nice. Yeah, he, but his, his walk rate is also at the bottom of the barrel. We should maybe stop saying that because it's not true. It's like 4%, 5%. Maybe that's why I get so excited when he walks. <laughs> yeah, maybe that is it. But I thought that was interesting. Canada did that. Very, very strange. But also, I guess they did kind of feel like had him on the ropes, jump on the fastball. It just didn't work out. And then wind up blowing the bases again. Luis Guillermo drew a tough walk. For some reason, I believe it was Michael Givens pitching for the Cubs, who I do actually like his stuff a lot. He's been a very good signing for them. Someone else who I no. was... No? It was Daniel Norris, the pickoff oh, you're talking about. Yes, 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 yes. He took yeah. Givens out. The bases are loaded. Pete Alonso on second base. The Cubs, with two outs in the 10th inning, down by one, try the daylight play on Pete Alonso, who wasn't really taking that big of a lead, throw the ball in the center field, just hand him, that's another run. And it looked like this was very much put on because right before it, there was a mound visit. And it seemed oh, like God. the mound visit was to talk about this. And he throws into center field, gives us another run. Spoiler alert, it ends up being the difference between the Mets winning this game and going another inning in extras, which it's just like David Ross got tossed in this game too. So maybe yeah. that's a little part of the reason. But Wait, wasn't watching... he in the dugout during the 10th? I remember him chirping with the big beard. Oh, oh, no, no, you're right. You're right. He got tossed in game two because yes. he almost got tossed in game three. Yes. Because but even after, he was also arguing after Hap. I think this whole series was a situation where David Ross and the Cubs were doing a, trying a little bit too hard. Yeah. Like, this was that was just, like, such a baseball hard-though weird moment where you're trying a daylight play in the 10th inning. Like, get the guy out. Like, I don't even remember who was up. I think it was, like, Escobar or Guillaume. It's not someone that I, I, I'd be running away from trying to get my out. Not that these guys aren't didn't have a good series and good players. We love every Mets player here, but... It was, it was such a bizarre move, and for that to have cost them the game, like, if that happened reverse, Mets fans would have would have needed a head on a stake. Yeah, that, there would be riots. There would be riots outside of City Field if that's uh, the play that they ran. Like, I, I can think of times in Mets past where there have been similar-ish situations and something like that has happened, and it's like, okay, I'm going to turn off my phone. I'm going to stay off of Twitter yeah. for the next 24 hours. But they were chirping so much on the dugout, too. It seemed like there was a whole conglomeration of the coaches who were just being kind of hard, though. And it was like... I don't know. It just seemed that seemed like a team that's reeling like the Cubs, who I I think they had, didn't have expectations this year, but probably better expectations than they played. Like I didn't think that they'd think right now they'd be behind the Reds in the standings after the no. way the first three weeks and the, of the Pirates. Season yeah, Pirates and Pirates are a good ball club, but the Reds were three like three and twenty two, and the Cubs are five hundred. Now the Reds are ahead of them, just to show how the seed this last two months have gone for the Cubs. So I do get it's a lot of guys who are probably afraid for their employment or trying to do everything they can to maintain it, but to do that in a situation where you're only down by one, and the Mets have no one left in their bullpen besides the, our king, Yoan Lopez. I can't wait for his statue to be built outside City Field, but that was bizarre. And then just to get into Yoan for a second, what a legend this guy's building for us. Legend. Through 40 pitches, two innings, ninth and tenth in this game, and got out of it with a massive, miraculous double play. Ted Eduardo Escobar, oh my God. Off I, the bat. I, I believe that was wisdom, too. It doesn't hit ground balls. Or for Schwindel. Schwindel actually had a good series. Couldn't even believe that that happened. And what's crazy, too... Mind. I was hugging strangers in the bar. I don't know who was on third base for the Cubs, but he thought he scored the tying run. He it was, was Morel. celebrating Morel. at home. He had his hands up. He was pumped. Well, Morel's a very... Morel's a man of the people. If you saw him this series, he was hugging Lindor. He was hugging the umpires. He was hugging Pete. He was all over the place. I love watching him play. He's honestly, he, made, he also made a great catch today on Sunday in center field. Well, let's talk about Sunday because the Mets win this game. There you go. Uh, yeah, they won well, game three. Let's talk about Yohan Sunday. Yoan Lopez, 40 pitches, by the way. Just um, ridiculous. Yoan Lopez, masterclass. Before we do get going completely into game four, though, the Mets are currently on the clock with their second round pick, which is probably crazy for you guys to hear because like MLB draft, how do you get excited? But that's what me and James live for. You love the prospect stuff that we do on the podcast. We're about to dive into this, but the pick is in for the Mets at number 52 overall. 
I actually don't know who's available right now because we've been recording for the last 30 minutes. If Brock Porter's there, I really want him. I really want him. But we'll see who they get right before uh, we go into game four here. But I mean, Porter's your SP1, correct, Mark? Yeah, Porter is my SP1. I don't actually know if he's still available or not. Can you? Are you I'm looking that up right as now. we're I'm scrolling right now? Prilliap, Ferris, Jacob Miller, Jake Bennett, Hunter Barco. That's a, that's a strong name. I've on Ivan Melendez. I was looking up until at Melendez, so I do think he's still on the board. Okay, if they Ball get Brock rushing, Porter yeah. here, I would be oh, I would be through the roof because he was my pitcher one in the draft, and we've heard that the Mets could be going after a guy like Brock Porter. Uh, they drafted Kevin Parada and Jet Williams, who we'll talk about here uh, once we're done wrapping up this series, because we are getting close to wrapping it up. I personally uh, bet Brock Porter to be picked under 12 and a half. That was a good, and I got closing line value with a botch that was for the picks off. I got murdered in the draft. Today. Okay, could you guess who's announcing the pick for the Mets right now? It's Andy a former pl- It's a former player. Andy Chavez. No, I'll give you one more guess. Um, give me the time frame in which he played. Uh, late to Late 2010s. Michael Kadire. Rajai <laughs> Davis. What? <laughs> Rajai Davis is announcing the pick, and he's literally saying it right now. The pick is, who is it? Come on. I, get to it, Rajay. I need you to be faster. Why are you? How Blake much Tidwell. Words? Blake, Blade Tidwell. Ooh. Blade Tidwell. I, I like, like Blade. Him. I like Me Blade. Too. Blade throws really hard. We'll talk about yeah. him more because I have notes on him. I literally just scouted him let's like go. today. Let's go. So. Scouted him. <laughs> scouted him. Let's talk about, uh, let's talk about game quickly. four, though, now. Two seconds. Two seconds. This game stunk. Just didn't yeah. hit enough again. You can't you can't face Adrian Sampson for 115 pitches and score two runs. You can't do that. It's not allowed. To be fair, wind was blowing in like crazy. A lot. Again. Every, there were so many fly balls that got knocked down. Pete had one that got knocked down. Lindor had one that got knocked down. Mazika. McNeil. Oh, Mazika. The McNeil one got knocked down really badly, too. That Mazika play, though, that was such a good play by Morel. I was, that was. Morel's a really good ball player. He's a great ball player. He's, He's someone really that quite good. Went very under the radar in prospect circles as a guy who just, like, he has he does all the stuff you would like, so I don't know why he did. He's he has good size. He hits the ball hard. He hits the ball in the air, and he plays two positions at basically an elite level. And he's two got a premium positions. Yeah, like I don't understand why he wasn't a better prospect. Kind of just goes to show like what these prospect lists can miss sometimes because he's fantastic. But just as this game was annoying, I'm still super impressed by David Peterson. Eight strikeouts in five innings. The guy continues to be on top of the strikeout rate leaderboards like since he clicked in the beginning of June. And I was just really, really impressed by how he got through the fourth inning in this game. Eduardo Escobar made an error, and then Peterson kind of lost his command for a little while, ended up walking in a run. And he was getting some deep counts. The Cubs fans were active. They were cheering. They were chanting. And it seemed like a situation where the game could have gotten out of hand. And he got a big, big strikeout of Nelson Velasquez, so the nine-hitter in this lineup. No yeah. one that's like you're really afraid of, but just... He, he got the big strikeout, didn't let the inning snowball, like something we've seen David Peterson do in his prior days before he became elite, and he showed a ton, a ton, a ton of emotion. And after an inning where he showed a lot of emotion, looked like he emptied the tank, we both thought he was done. Yeah. He came back out for the fifth inning and struck out the one, two, and three hitters in the Cubs lineup in order, Morel, Happ, and Contreras. Mitch, yeah. Morel, Contreras, and Happ. Really pissed off Contreras, who got really mad about that. But he yeah, smacked himself in the head like 10 yeah. times. Seeing that up and down from Peterson, being able to maintain and stay, and while you can pitch, a, exert a lot of effort in one inning, come back after the next inning and still have your elite stuff, that was one of the most impressive things I think he's done this entire year. Yeah, I, uh, I pulled a U. I was listening to the radio for this portion of the game because I was looking at apartments out in Queens because your boy is getting kicked out of his apartment in 12 days, so I need really? to find somewhere else to live. Yeah, you got to. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm cutting it really close, but I will say, 
I found a place that I really like, and there's a second place that's a backup in case the first one doesn't work. So I have two spots. The New York City rent prices are absolutely asinine, and I can't believe I have to spend this much, but oh. Shout out our boy Jeffrey McKitts, loyal listener. I think Gamecock, I believe, right, Mark? And we've met him at a game. At least I've met him, I think, once or twice at games. He was dressed very proper, too. You'll you'll know who you are, Jeffrey McKitts. Oh, that's him? I believe that's him. Unless I'm completely misremembering right now, but I think that's him. He is... He works real estate in the city, and he actually hit me up because Mark and I have both been looking for apartments, and he was trying to help. So shout out you, dude. Well, I, I didn't use him. Oh, I talked to him for a while about stuff. But he's like, I probably I, can't help because it's hard. Yeah, no, and I'm, I'm sure he's probably more Manhattan rather than Queens if I had to guess. Yeah, he was. He said he was talking about a place that was being showed in Gramercy, a two-bedroom for like almost eight grand <laughs> that got bid up to ten. That's, it's like it's just it's just it's just hell out here right now. I'm like, yeah, I guess it really is hard, hard as hell. It's so annoying for an apartment. The whole reason we haven't been doing more Zoom episodes is because the house I lived in, I just I, this whole content thing is very new to me, and I was very happy to move from my old place to my new place. My old place was like a bit of an illegal bedroom, like one of those no window, no <laughs> closets kind of thing. I was just kind of kind of trying to trying to make something happen for the last few months. Kind of like the office one. that you lived in in this apartment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Literally. Well, that had that had a, that had a skylight, so we have okay. that and a closet. So fancy living. Not a window, but I was living in a, it was like kind of like living in a bucket where <laughs> I had light. I had light from above, but very good natural light. But um, <laughs> so I was like really excited. I got a cheap bedroom in the neighbor in my neighborhood I was living in with a closet and a window big room too enough room for a nice size desk but i just new to the world of content creation didn't think about just the whole noise factor and i'm on a main road and it is so loud guys trying to record shows like i was editing for them before um the mets took over so we haven't done a zoom one because i don't want to subject a new editor to this because it's yeah it's just intense like all day and all night motorbikes fast cars loud radios people screaming it never ever stops the garbage truck like i only i can't believe the time they collect garbage in the street it's absolutely obscene it's ridiculous so that's why we haven't been doing more zoom episodes but i just can't move because the rents are so crazy i just moved into this one even though it's not like a long-term lease i would have but it's just like it's impossible so <laughs> we'll see what happens gonna be spending quite a bit of money to live in new york city but that's what i do for this podcast i'll stay in the city for you guys dedicated that's- to the game yeah, and New York City is amazing. You know why the rents are so good? Because everybody wants to live here because it's the it's best. True. Yeah, the rent would be low if nobody wanted to live here. That would be like yeah. Philly or Atlanta or one of those cities. You know? Exactly. Oh, rent's so cheap. I love living in these places. I get such a nice apartment for nothing. Yeah, it's because you have to drive 15 minutes to go to go to, the, to a fun bar. It's not New York City, the best city in the world with the best fans in the world. That's called pandering right there. Half of them, the Mets fans, not the Yankees fans. They okay, stink. yeah, of course, that's true. But we're talking about David Peterson now. We have to talk about one of our guys who had another bad outing in this one, Drew Smith. Drew Smith needs this all-star break more than oxygen. It's like relatively, it was a relatively bad starting. The uh, the stats or the outcome was bad, but like he kind of got dinked and doinked a little bit because the couple hits that did For go sure. through at the beginning were like, they just snuck by the middle yes. infield. And it was like, if you were in a different spot, maybe, or if they shifted differently, which is also hard with a lot of this Cubs team because they don't have very good hitters. It's just top, like- The top of the road is not bad at all. Top four can play. Yes, definitely they can play. They can swing it. It was just a little bit of unluckiness, plus the slider is definitely a little bit more of a spinner right now, I think, for Drew Smith. So, like you said, the all-star break, I think, could help him a little bit. His arm is still relatively young, too, in terms of pitching. He also, not even relatively young, Drew Smith has just had a lot of arm trouble in recent years. and He hasn't really gone through this up-and-down grind of a season kind of yet. He's always, including last year, he's always had to take time off. So, Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story and one of the best 
stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. You worry something we might be trending towards. And also, I look back at his pitch data, and you see the fastball has lost some velocity down from the peak where it was early in the season. And you see that the slider is moving significantly less recently over the last month, especially today. It wasn't moving at all, it seemed like. No. And maybe that was the wind. Maybe that was the grip. I don't know. It's a game. But Drew Smith is someone who went from being our number two option in this bullpen to being someone who now seems like probably should be moved back a notch in terms of leverage. Yeah, I think uh, maybe just ease in, ease in. Trevor May should be coming back soon too, which I think will also majorly help this bullpen along with Drew Smith because that's a guy who's going to be high leverage right from the start. Yeah, and it's just, you probably just get, take this week and we'll see where we're at. But again, the bottom line in this game, it looks worse on Drew Smith now, but you can't score two runs off Adrian Sampson for 115 no. pitches. That's the Mets in, in, in these three games after Thursday scored eight runs in three games. And, and it's a miracle. That it's like it, you look back at that, you're like you, you're very fortunate to have won two of them. That's all great pitching, great defense. But if you could have just scored a moderate amount of runs in these games, you would have swept the Cubs, and that that leaves you with that bittersweet kind of frustrated feeling. I gotta find that stat. Oh, here it is. Ready for this? Yeah. When the Mets have, oh no, that's hitting the over. What was the stat about uh, scoring over four runs? It was, it was like Mets? it was like fifty-seven and four or something. I got it. Okay, so this comes from at Mets News Moves on Twitter. I don't know the guy, but this is a really cool stat. He said that the Mets are 52 and 11 when they score more than two runs in a game. 52 and 11. That's 41 unreal. games over 500. Just three runs. 52 and 11. And I think if they scored more than four, they basically have lost like two or three games this year. So the pitching's been cash money. I think that's, the, that's a really fun thing to take out of this. And, and the, the defense, offense, which is big. Yeah. And the offense at times will be ice cold like we've seen. But even still, like they, they are not as bad as everyone thinks and not as good as everyone thinks, you know? Yeah, it's just if you get this hot and cold sense because you're not like the Braves or the Yankees or these teams that barrel up the ball at will. You are kind of succumbed to whether your balls drop or are caught. And like a game like today where the wind is blowing in and the balls that could have gone out of the stadium don't. And when Christopher Morell makes a great sliding play in center field and you're hitting the ground balls, you're just not – that. that's it. Sometimes you're just not going to score a lot of runs. And it just sucks that the Mets seem to have been stacking these games for a couple of weeks now. And you just think, is there is there a way out? Is there a bat mark? That can get the Mets out of these doldrums. Juan Soto. Oh, really? Uh, Uncle Is he in the Steve? Block? Uncle Steve. Give him a call. Call up the learners, right? The learners. It's the Nationals owners. Yeah, the learners. Mike Rizzo. Yeah, give him a call and say, hey, listen, we got a package for you. And we want Juan Soto so that he can be a Met for life. Because whew, how great would it be that, like, in the span of two years to get Max Scherzer and Juan Soto from the Nationals to the Mets? We're being a little like uh, tongue in cheek right now, but can I can I ask you a very serious question? Yeah, give me it. I'm taking the Mets out of the equation. What do you think is the percent chance that Juan Soto actually is traded in the next two weeks? 
the next two weeks, I think 10% chance. I don't think he's traded in the next two weeks. I think this yeah. is an off-season trade. I think yeah. this is an off-season trade, one, because I think the Nationals probably are still going to continue to try and get Juan Soto to sign a long-term contract. Apparently, the reasoning behind it was because it was so backloaded, and that, of course, if you're Juan Soto, that makes it really, really hard to be traded then if the Nationals continue to stink. And I'm sure he wants to continue to be on competitive teams and continue to win. It's just going to help him in the long term, especially for a guy who, I mean, he's 23, but he's on a Hall of Fame track. We know what it is. And also, if you're Juan Soto, why, why, I don't want backloaded money. Like, why are you backloading my money? I should be getting the best contract in the history of the game. Like, I'm the money. most, I'm the craziest free agent ever. Scott Boris is not signing a backloaded contract. Money is worth more now than it is later. So yes. I think that he's not going to get traded at the deadline. I think that's a lot of good reporting. I think there is a chance if someone comes in and wows the Nationals, maybe it's the Mets. I, oh, drop you the, dropped your water dro- bottle. Drop the baseball. Oh, I was baseball. Twirling the baseball around. Got a baseball next to me, too, that I've been fiddling around with here. Very fiddly Got episode. Got a fiddly episode. If, are you a baseball fan if you don't have a baseball around at all times? Yeah, I keep one on my desk at home, too. But back to Juan Soto. I think for the right move, he gets, or for the right package, he gets moved, but I doubt that it comes this year. And you kind of have to think about it logically, like thinking about just the trademark and how trades happen. There only are probably six-ish teams that can trade for Juan Soto, maybe seven that can trade, and probably only four that can actually are willing, even have the capability to lock him up long-term. And the lock him up long-term is the Mets, the Yankees, the Dodgers, maybe the Padres. Maybe the Red Sox. I, I can totally see Heim being like, if I'm going to give money to one guy, it will this be is, this one. This is the one. <laughs> yeah, like they, yeah. it'll be arguably the best hitter in baseball. And then if you extend it out, like who can actually put together a package for Soto, you have to include the Mariners, the Rays, and the Guardians and because of, of the strength of their farm systems. The sneaky team that could, I think, put a package together too. The Pirates? I think, I think the Rockies could. I guess. Who they who would they Veen, Tovar. They have all those young catching prospects that are good. They just had a pretty good draft and grabbed some big names as well that are going to be high on prospect lists. They it's a weird fit for sure, but I think the Rockies could be in the conversation. And they weirdly well, spent money on Chris Bryant, so why not spend more on Juan Soto? Well, I guess at that point then the Diamondbacks would be in play as well. Yeah. Um the Orioles, like, the Orioles technically would be in play as well. If there's ever if there's ever a guy, this is the guy you trade everybody for. And you've and it's, I have to imagine that what the Nationals want would be similar to kind of what they got when they traded the Warriors and Turner last year. It's going to be more, of course, but they seemingly want guys who have less risk, and you get less risk the closer you are to the major leagues. Definitely. So I I f- have a feeling that they really want a young, controllable arm who has one either being track record of major league success or close proximity to the major leagues, or a guy, or and then a whole slew of guys that have ridiculous upside. So with the Mets, you kind of can offer that with Peterson and McGill. The Mariners can offer that with George Kirby, which would be crazy. The Padres can offer that with Mackenzie Gore. The Yankees' AAA rotation—I've said it a lot to you—is basically a major league rotation down there with Waldachuk, Schmidt. It's they have, they have a lot of pitching down there. So I feel like if you could anchor your deal, which this is something I don't think the Rockies can do. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And the Diamondbacks, I don't think can do this either. And the Orioles maybe can now, but I, I think that if I'm the Nationals, I would rather keep Juan Soto in my division than keep him in my county. Definitely. With Baltimore. Yeah. Like, that would be hell if you send him to Baltimore and he just well, becomes like, a Hall of Famer. It's like a Mets-Yankees trade. Like, Yeah, it, but like, yeah, I guess he put less animosity, but still probably miserable for you to answer to ownership in the media. But you have to kind of anchor this negotiation on a guy. And, of course, I just mentioned guys with vastly different value profiles between David Peterson and George Kirby. But yeah. It's crazy that the way Peterson's pitched this year kind of does get you in that conversation. And then not many other teams can stack two prospects like 
Alvarez and Beatty on top of each other. While the depth of the Mets farm system is not great, and there probably isn't a lot of quantity they can offer, if the Nationals do want quality, it seems like a lot right now. It's kind of crazy to come out of my mouth and say these words, but theoretically, a package of Peterson, Alvarez, Beatty, Ziegler, pick your next minor leaguer, Mauricio Ramirez, that, that gets you in the room. It at least gets a conversation going. I mean, anytime Alvarez is in the conversation, I think people are listening. And it's not that we're saying let's trade Francisco. No, and we're not. We're not. We're not advocating trading any of these people no. either. We're just saying in terms of like trying to get inside the minds of what these executives think like, trying to like kind of instruct you guys on what we've learned from just being around this game for a little while. What seemingly gets these things done? Like, I don't know what other team can stack to impact offensive prospects like the Mets right now. It's gonna be tough. It's gonna be tough to find one. Like even the, like the Yankees have Volpe. I don't know their second best hitting prospect. Like Peraza or I guess Dominguez. They do Volpe yeah, and Dominguez. Dominguez. Yeah. Or the Dodgers. They have Fartaya. But they 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 just acquire the catcher from the Dodgers who is defense first. Like, do you think they want another one? Like, that doesn't make well, any sense. No, Cartaya hits. He's not defense first guy. Oh, I thought he was defense first, but he also no hit. big hitter, big hitter. Really? Okay. Yeah, big hitter. Which also that kind of contradicts me talking about Alvarez because the Nationals just traded for Kiba Ruiz, who's yeah. a fantastic player, but. I just I don't see the other I guess I guess Cartaya and Vargas is a pretty amazing offer. Well, these guys have more pitchers. I don't know. I mean, really, at the end of the day, like these Juan Soto talks for one on this podcast is just fun because he's yeah. one of the best players in the league, and the Mets will definitely be in the conversations. I think, or at least in the rumor mill, for a guy for a team that could be after Juan Soto, especially after some of the news that has been breaking that the Mets seem like they would be a really good fit for a guy like Juan Soto. Not to mention, he had that Instagram post back when he was visiting City Field last year, where he was basically like. I don't get to. I think the rough translation was, I don't. I can't make decisions myself. I let God like have the stuff fall in place. And it was at City Field with the apple in the background. He can't say he wants to be on the Mets, but that feels like he said he wanted to be. And the other thing about Juan Soto, we've kind of seen this with the players that the Mets have like attracted in recent years, Yankees as well. Like, there's not that many cities in America that offer as much like Dominican culture as New York. No. Like, I can't even tell you another one. Maybe my like, maybe somewhere in Florida where it's actually close in proximity. But like, if you want. Gonna be be around your people. Like this is the place to be. Yeah. That being said, probably not happening. Definitely no. not this year. At least I don't I, think. It's a possibility. The steam that has started now it seems like there. These conversations happening are interesting. That he could be the most valuable player to ever be traded. At least since A Rod. Outside of Babe Ruth, I guess. I guess mean, we're going way back there. We're going hundred years. <laughs> the dude was traded for. It said A Rod. Mark said Babe Ruth. <laughs> You're talking about my. I'm talking about bossy. You're talking about the guy who was you know playing with plumbers. It's 11:35 at night. We're starting to get crazy. We're getting into the deep hours. There's no, no air conditioning in my house right now because it's too loud in the recording. I'm sweating. My sister's oh, texting me. I'm sweating. I'm like, I've, oh god. I've been looking around for where I put my water. I seemingly came into this room without my my water today, which is just a mistake. But I don't know. Enough Juan Soto talk. Let's talk about the last thing here today, which is going to be the MLB draft. Oh, we still have the home run derby preview too. We'll talk about that. But let's talk about the MLB draft because the Mets had three picks in the first two rounds, I believe. At least I think the they first... have one more that we just haven't gotten to yet. Okay, through the first fifty-two. That we have seen. The Mets have three picks. And with the 11th pick overall, they went with Kevin Parada. With the 14th pick overall, they went with Jet Williams. And with the 52nd pick overall, they went with Blade. Don't call me Blake. Tidwell. And Bla- I think there fact- is a Blake Tidwell who has I'm been not- in the league. Like a prospect Maybe. pitcher. I feel like Diamondbacks, but go on. Uh, fun fact about Blade Tidwell. His first name is Jansen. Hold on, really? That's a bad first name. I like Jansen, J A N Z E N. Jansen. I'll, I take it back. That's strong. Blade strong. and a Z in the name. That's strong. And let Here's me tell you fun. something about Blade Go. Tidwell too. 
strong kid, throws heat. I, I've I go really really hard in the draft stuff, and I figure since he's the most recent pick, I'll talk about him real quickly. Right-handed pitcher out of Tennessee, pitching factory this past year. They've just had crazy crazy arms, and they're going to have possibly the number one pick overall next year with uh, one of their pitchers. But he's a big dude who throws some serious chet. He sits in the upper 90s, has a really, really good slider and a good curveball, along with a changeup, which is probably his second best pitch and gets a ton of swings and misses. I believe it had one of the highest swing and miss rates in all of college baseball. He has easy, clean mechanics, and he's still getting stronger. Didn't throw a lot of innings this year in college, which is why he's kind of falling in that 50-ish range. And he has four good pitches, which is not really something you find a lot in college pitchers. My notes, I said, I don't know why people aren't higher on him. I had him as my 17th ranked prospect in the MLB draft. And this is before the Mets or anybody was rumored to him. This was just me doing unbiased national reporting here. Blade Tidwell was 17th for me. I thought he was phenomenal. Yeah, everything I've seen, I don't, I'm not as deep into the draft as you. Because the MLB draft, it kind of just frustrate, frustrates me because it's not like a grab talent draft. It's about like finagling your slot money which kind of makes it like a like a fool's errand to try and predict, even though I was that fool today and just lost plenty of money Yeah, uh, trying, to, trying to figure out this draft. But I like what I see. And also, it's so rare that you see a college pitcher who throws with that much heat have a developed changeup already at this age. Yeah. And changeup isn't like really the desirable pitch at this point in baseball. But just having that to go along with functional breaking balls, that's that seems like this guy has a bit of a ceiling. No, he, he and, definitely... We have to talk about just the fact that the Mets last year seemed to hit on like seven rip pitchers outside of the first round. So I kind of trust in their pitching scouting and pitching development track record early on with this new regime. And to be fair, if there was any, like hearing him say he's got a good fastball changeup, oh, what, what do the Mets do really well, James? What pitch do the Mets seem to know how to fix? Slither, baby. Bring and it that's on. A, and that's a pitch that's decent for him. Imagine 20 what, minutes with Jeremy Hefner. Yeah, 20 minutes. A little sprinkle of the Hefner magic. And I'm, I'm really excited about Blade Tidwell. I really like that second-round pick. And then let's talk about the first-round picks, because like I said, at 11, we went with Kevin Parada, catcher out of Georgia Tech. Now that might Twitter be a little, was a, a blaze. Might be a little confusing for you guys at home, because you're like, well, we have Francisco Alvarez. Why would we draft another catcher? Here's how it works in baseball. You draft the best players you can never have too many good players because you don't know necessarily as good as Francisco Alvarez is as great as we know he's going to be there's a world where Kevin Parada could be better or Francisco Alvarez takes a step back so you always just get good players and a guy like Kevin Parada was one of the best pure hitters in the entire draft and he fell to 11 a guy who was mocked sometimes inside the top five I had him as my number six best player in the draft the dude rakes uh, draft guy I like a lot, Harris Uden. He used to work for Sports Info Solutions. I think he interned with the Mets also. He said that he had Parada as a top five player in this draft. And he said that currently, if he was making a prospect list, he would have the Mets as having the two best hitting catchers in the entire show. Yeah, which Kevin I think is pretty, pretty interesting. He has a super weird stance, but it yes. does it doesn't matter because at point of contact and like through his mechanics and everything, he gets just like everybody else, all the great hitters. He looks like it. He has an insane lower half. His, le- his legs and his hips fire through, and it gives him incredible bat speed as well. Really good eye, walked a ton, cut down the strikeouts in his sophomore year at Georgia Tech. He might not be a catcher for the future. That's like the knock on Kevin Parada is that maybe he's not a catcher. He might be a first baseman. He might be a corner outfield guy in the future, but they do believe that he's athletic enough where it's not going to be a problem because he rakes so much. Yeah, I, that's almost, I love hearing that from catchers. When you tell me a catcher can move to another position, that means he's just that good of a hitter. It doesn't, the rest doesn't really matter. And is he good at all behind the dish? He's okay. I mean, like, yeah. it's it's tough because there's no catching defensive metrics in college by any means. And depending on who you ask, 
You ask the Georgia Tech coach, you go, great behind the plate, because you know, that's his guy. You ask yeah. experts on MLB you know, Network or whatever it's going to be, they'll give you some differing opinions. Watching him, I think he's okay, but he's also handling college pitching. It's a little bit different. All I care about is the dude absolutely mashes, and they said he's probably going to be a middle-of-the-order bat for the future who's going to hit 25 to 30 home runs a year. <laughs> cool. Awesome. I like how that sounds. I love how that sounds. A little bit different than the next guy that we took. At 14, we took Jet Williams, who couldn't be smaller. Um, <laughs> I mean, like, that doesn't mean that he's not good by any means. Jet Williams is actually quite a ball player. My big thing is he's got the dog in him. If you don't know the Twitter meme, Jet Williams has that dog in him. He's gritty, he's scrappy, and he is a really good player. Experts around baseball love him. Love him, despite being a really, really small player. Drawing comps to Jose Altuve, I think strictly because of the size, I don't see it with his swing. That being said, he does hit the ball hard. He plays a good shortstop, has a strong arm. He was ranked, where did I rank uh, Jet Williams in my thing? I had him ranked at 28 on my rankings for the LMB Draft Prospects. What does it matter? Who am I? It no doesn't one. matter. Absolutely nobody. He rips the ball, though, and he's a great athlete. He doesn't swing and miss. It's one of those things that you can't really explain until you watch the guy play. You see five foot eight and however you know much he weighs, and you get a little discouraged because of the size, but he's, he's a ripped 5'8". He's jacked, and he crushes baseballs. Absolutely. He was ranked 21 on Baseball America's board. Tidwell was actually ranked 27. So the Mets, um, per Baseball America, got three top 30 players. Parada was their sixth player. And something you kind of know is a similarity between Parada and Jet, even though they're vastly different sized and look guys, that they both don't have very much swing and miss in their game. They seem like the Mets prioritize swing decisions with these guys, which I feel like is probably the hardest skill to master as a prospect you see a team like the rays they also like to prioritize swing decisions and then try to develop the power later on the guardians are a team that does that well two teams that develop players very very well to the best farm systems in baseball you've seen the rays do that literally this year in season with isak paredes a guy who always had great swing decisions but didn't really have exactly the best like hit angle or a spray angle and they've just fixed that in like 20 minutes so you see that and you see you see kind of see like big word we haven't used in a while process you see a process with these two mets picks you got a guy with good swing decisions who hit the ball hard, you think you could probably move through the system kind of well. And we also see with Jet Williams that the small guy in baseball might be coming back a little bit. Altuve started it. Bregman is tiny. Mookie Betts is not a big guy. So being in this own draft, Tamar Johnson's 5'8", and he got drafted fourth overall. People love the fit. Like People just love the value there. So you kind of see this kind of small guy revolution happening. Pitchers, too. We've talked about, I've talked about small pitchers a little bit on here in the past. Like You see Spencer Strider, who like, looks like one of the most unassuming guys like ever. And you see that as actually statistical advantages to it. So happy with these Mets two picks. The draft is a crapshoot, though. We'll we'll see what happens. I got something for you. Uh, height doesn't measure heart. There you go. That's you I, yeah. I have that on my on my wall over there. You guys can't see it out of frame. You know where that? You know what that is, right? What? It's Marcus Stroman saying. <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I had to use that. That was on a T for me. But oh, God. I got I got a fun fact about Jet Williams. Right for this one. Mm-hmm. So he's from Texas. Jet Williams, that's a strong Texas name if I've ever heard one. As Texas of names I've heard besides like, uh, let's think of some quarterback names here with some funny Texas names. You know, Ch- Ch- Chase Crawford, the guy from the boys, that's a yeah. Texas name. Baker Chase Mayfield. Baker Mayfield's Texas name. <laughs> oh, God. There's a lot of Texas names, but fun fact, Jet Williams, not actually necessarily a Texas guy. Might be a little more New York than anyone even knew. He's like from Long Island, Port Jefferson. He said from about ages two to four. He doesn't remember. He was, he was a youngin. But he lived in Port Jefferson, Long Island. His dad and brother both went and graduated from Stony Brook. His brother played lacrosse there. So he's actually got a little New York blood in him. That's Love like that. five points for me. Five extra points. Definitely. And you just, you kind of saw this coming with the Mets. Something actually I predicted to you personally. That you you have these two picks in the top 15. You take two bats. So you 
I have to think could be fast movers with high floors, which it looks like they did, even though Jet is a high schooler. It's the good swing decisions helps me out and the defensive versatility. And then it seems like there's, you just you just pepper upside pitchers. You get these guys who probably you're not going to have to pay that much for slot relative to their slot value, and then you just swing for the fences as you move yep. forward. Yeah, no, I, I really like what the Mets have done with the draft so far. There are some names that I thought that the Mets could have taken at these spots that they it didn't end up doing. I really trust what you know Tommy Tannis and the Mets player development part, department has done. They've pulled some guys out of nowhere. I mean, the, the, what they've done with the international prospects, what they've done with the draft guys last year have been really, really good. So I'm really excited to see what these guys do and can't wait to see them maybe get to Brooklyn and hopefully we can talk to some of these guys. They, we have a couple prospects that could be top guys that speak a little more English too, which would help us for some <laughs> interviews. I mean, Ernie can come. We were, we're fine with mixing, mixing the language here, but also just cool to see that... Um, I totally lost my train of thought for a second. Oh, my God. Cool to see the Mets are going to have this incredible influx of talent. And as they rank generally between the 20 and 25th farm system, you're getting potentially five impact players. That could send the Mets prospect ranking up a few slots just off the bat. Yeah, no, it's great. And uh, give you more depth to trade from. Of course, which I found out you can't trade draft picks until after the World Series. I didn't know that. I know either. I kind of thought the opposite of that. Yeah, that's a. Uh, it used to be you couldn't trade them for a year. That became a new rule. That's a, a, a fix. After the mm-hmm. World Series, you can trade them. But... Hey, Kevin Parada, Jet Williams, Blade Tidwell, welcome to New York. Welcome to Queens. I'm sure they'll probably be at the stadium relatively soon because they got drafted so. as soon as they signed. Yeah. Uh, hope, hopefully we can have a nice conversation with you guys. We'd love to chat. Yeah, future guests of the Messed Up Podcast. Last thing we're going to do here. Oh, no, we still have – oh, well, we have no series preview. It's the no, All-Star no series break. Preview. Yeah. That's, that's what we're previewing the Home Run Derby. That's, the Home Run Derby preview. Point of this, yeah, CJ. there we go. We, I'm going to let you take it then. Take your preview. <laughs> All right, we got the Home Run Derby coming up on Monday. Pete Alonso is looking to become only the second player in the history of the Home Run Derby, which started, I believe, in 1984, 85, It's either then. 84 or 85, and I believe Daryl won or he tied did. with Wally Joyner, tied co-champions. Well, we're going to give Daryl Strawberry the first ever win, but Pete is looking to become the only the second player ever to win the Home Run Derby in three consecutive years, possibly joining, as we said last episode, Ken Griffey Jr., which I would love to just put those two guys in a room and see what they have to say to each other. It'd be kind of hilarious. Two very different people, but... Pete Alonso is the betting favorite right now. I believe he's going off at minus plus 150 to win this thing. And with the new bracket way they set it up, he's facing off against Ronald Acuna Jr. in the first round in what is an absolutely loaded, loaded home run derby field. Yeah, it would have been nice to get that one seed and face old man Albert Pujols. Which... Yeah, it just doesn't really seem fair that this is the case. Wait, wait, no, why? We... Oh, he's not the one seed because it goes by current home runs. Yep. Oh, I just clicked just clicked that together. So freaking Schwarber gets pulled. Which is nonsense for a guy who's won back-to-back. He should just automatically get the one, and then you can rank it again. Also, it's kind of Fugazi that they're ranking Raul Acuna in terms of current home runs. He missed a month and a half this season. <laughs> what the yeah, hell? Guys, guys hits 40 home runs a year. So it's going to be a close first-round match. But what I do love is that Pete at least has the advantage. So he only has to hit one more home run than Raul Acuna. So if Acuna stinks, Pete doesn't have to waste time trying to hit as many as possible. Absolutely. Take, take the gas off. Relax for a little while. But... It's just the Home Run Derby has become such an amazing event since they changed this uh, format to being sick, timed and bracketed. You get the, the minute rather than the 10 outs like it used to be, and you just just look at pitches all day. It's awesome. It's so sick. I, I love watching it. I love the, the time aspect. Definitely put some stress on, like, I need one home run. I got 30 seconds. I yeah. also love that you get bonuses for hitting the ball especially far. So I think two home runs over 450 in a round, you get an extra 30 seconds, I believe, which is... That could be the difference, and Pete Alonso's gonna gonna handle that no problem. And like this is the home run derby. This should be like an arcade game. And I kind of like that with these new rules. They treat it as such. We got Dave Jowes coming back for, uh, to pitch to Pete for the first time, long time. 
I'm, I, I freaking I've the home since I was a kid. I've loved the home run derby. I've always found a way to try and like get with friends and watch the home run derby together because it's just such a fun baseball event. I went to it when it was in Queens, and I believe that was 2012 or 2013 with my dad. That Yoannis Espas actually won that one, and I was yeah. like, this guy could really swing it. He'd be he'd be a good fixture in Queens. It's such a good event. I really this is one of the few things that Major League Baseball has done a good job with in recent years. Yeah, we won't talk about the futures game being on Peacock during peak hours of watching baseball what even happened i don't even know uh alvarez hit walked and hit a ball hard to second base they were oogling and eyeing over him yonder alonzo and uh scott braun were doing the game they were loving him they were he was taking war hacks they were like this guy's just one of the best hitters we've seen as a prospect ever like he's so sick and then uh vientos i think walked and hit a fly ball to center field on a like up and in 96 mile an hour fastball which was out of the zone so i was like oh Quick bat, Mark Vientos could be a guy that could be coming to Queens any day now. Literally any day now. But everyone just enjoy the home run derby. This we we get to see our our big first baseman match dingers. Like that's okay. it. Okay, outside of Pete, maybe this could be our estimate for this episode. So we yeah. both pick Pete. That's yeah. our winner. Hundred percent. But if you're not picking Pete, if you're not allowed to pick Pete Alonso, who are you picking in this home run derby? I'll give you the first pick, and then obviously whoever hits the most home runs if they don't win. We'll I mean, there's a logical round. pick here. I think I'll take the logical pick just because the it's logical fine. pick is Kyle Schwarber because yeah. he just crushes the ball and he gets to go against Albert Pujols in the first round. I'd, I'd be shocked if Albert Pujols has more than like 10 homers. But that that's what my brain is telling me. It's oh. not what my heart is telling me. I'm going to stick with Schwarber because I want to give you the guy who I'm assuming my heart is telling me, and I, just, I want you to pontificate about him. Uh, my pick's Julio Rodriguez. That was it, 100%. He's, he's so much fun. He's, he's going to have to beat Pete. Essentially, he's going to have to beat Peter Acuna if he makes it past the first round to to get there. But he hits the ball so hard. He's so fun. And this feels like an event that a 21-year-old, especially like him, is living for. That million-dollar check is a nice little check for him to take home as a guy who's on a rookie contract right now. And he's a really good hitter. Really good. He's so good. He's already become, I'm not even kidding, like one of the best players in baseball. Oh, definitely. Someone asked me today, is he top 50? I'm like, is he top 50? What do you mean? Of course. So someone asked you that? Yeah, someone asked me on Twitch, like, is he in your top, like top 50 10, yet? Probably. I'm like, he's like top 25, no doubt, right now. All my fantasy baseball people out there, like Julio Rodriguez, not even kidding, is like in play to be number one overall pick next year in fantasy. He's so like, sick. He's, he's that good. Like, a lot of that has to do with stolen bases and like the functionality of 5x5 five five fantasy baseball, but he he does so many things, and he you can see it with your eyes every single day. He's getting better, Yep. like in a scary way. And he'll be fun to watch in the Home Run Derby. It's him. Versus Seager, you have Jose Ramirez versus Juan Soto, Schwarber Pujols that we mentioned, and Alonzo Acuna has the chance to be one of the best home run derbies we have ever seen. Let's go, Pete. Three Pete. Win it thrice. Become the first ever to do it. That would be sick. Well, first ever to win it three times in a row. Second. Griffey. No, Griffey won it three times, not three times in a row. Oh, interesting. Very cool. You should have corrected me before. I was just lying to the listeners. Yeah, it's all right. They they, They made it this far. They listen to every single second of the Mets Stuff podcast as we're going on what is probably our longest episode since joining the Mets here. Episode 110 of the Mets Stuff podcast, official podcast of the New York Mets. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you for watching however you do it. If you're listening to us, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, wherever, follow the feed, subscribe, download it, like, rating, review, whatever you got to do, it really does help us out. If you're listening or if you're watching us, New York Mets YouTube channel, that's where you'll do it. Follow us on all our social media, at MetsUp, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Follow James at? James Giano. Follow me at Giraffe Neck Mark with a C. I got nothing else to talk about here. Should we wrap it up? 
Yeah, also just want to say I did a radio spot today for the first time in my life. I did I did 15 minutes on ESPN New York. That was crazy cool. There you go. Congratulations. Yeah, that was fun. I have the recording, too. I'll probably post it on Twitter tomorrow. It was good. We talked a lot. A lot of shares of DeGrom. Uh, shares of DeGrom Soto. So there's some extra Mets content for you guys in case you didn't Absolutely. get enough in this hour-long episode of the Mets Up Podcast. We'll catch you after the All-Star break or maybe emergency episode after Pete Alonso wins the Home Run Derby. And we'll see you next time. Peace. Peace out, guys. See you after the Derby. Get up. Get up, get up.